Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Worldwide Tax Daily. This week, the view from the OECD. Pascal Sanamon and Grace Perez-Navarro, the Director and Deputy Director, respectively, of the OECD's Center for Tax Policy and Administration, were in Washington for a series of meetings. While they were here, Worldwide Tax Daily Chief Correspondent Stephanie Johnston sat down with them for an interview. She joins us now. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Dave. We're about to play your interview for listeners, but before we do that, could you give us, a, give us a preview of the topics you covered? Well, we focused mostly on the tax challenges arising from the digitalization of the economy, which is a key piece of OECD work at the moment. Most of this work is ha- happening in the BEPS Inclusive Framework, which is a group of 116 OECD and non-OECD countries that are working on implementing some of the BEPS measures And we also talked about trade and the trade tensions um, that may bleed over to tax and uh, the difficulties in that area. So it was a very good interview. I started off by asking, since the interim report on the taxation of the digital economy came out, we've seen some countries, particularly in the EU, really pushing hard for interim measures to tax the digitalized economy. But we've also seen countries most recently, uh, Finland, Denmark, and Sweden, urging others to wait for final conclusions at the OECD. And what is the OECD doing to keep countries on track to focus on long-term solutions versus short-term? Well, we feel like we dealt with the interim measures in the interim report by saying, here's a framework for those countries that want to do something. So our focus is very much on the long-term measures. We will have our task force meeting on this in mid-July to continue the discussions, but We have very big challenges here because, as you know from the interim report, we have basically three groups of countries. One group of countries that says, well, basically the Action One report from 2015 was right, that we ought to see how the BEPS measures play out, and let's come back to this in 2020 to see if there's anything more to be done. But they don't really think there needs to be any big change or any change to the international tax rules. Then you have another group of countries that says, yes, we agree with the Action One report that you can't ring fence the digital economy, um, but if there is a desire to do something, then we need to do something broader and not just focused on what is called the digital economy, which cannot even be defined. And then you have the third group of countries that thinks that, well, maybe there is some way to uh, ring-fence this and come up with a targeted solution, probably based on user contribution or something like that. And these are very different positions. So our task, our challenge, is to try and bring these together. If I may step back one second on long-term, short-term solutions for countries, stands, uh, drawing on what Grace has just said. One year ago, two years ago, the U.S. position on digital economy was, it's a BEPS issue, let's wait for BEPS to be implemented, we'll take stock of where we're in 2020. The German presidency of the G20 said it's too political to wait for another three years, we want a report by the spring 2018, which we delivered. And when preparing this report, there was a discussion on short-term measures and long-term measures, or interim measures waiting for a long-term solution. What happened, which is, I think, a fundamental change, is the U.S. tax reform, November, December. And then the new U.S. position, under the Obama administration, the position was, we don't want to talk about digital economy, digitalization whatsoever. Why now, given the tax reform, there is an opening 
of the US, which is in one of the categories that Grace just mentioned, saying, well, we don't think that it is appropriate to design a solution for one sector of the economy, but we do recognize that there is an issue which needs to be addressed. And the issue is about the way the allocation of taxing rights is currently decided upon, and maybe we should revisit it. And by the way, you Europeans who want to tax Google and the likes, well, maybe you would be satisfied by a change there. So the dynamic, which was until the U.S. tax reform, pretty, I mean, negative in the sense that there was no opening from the largest economy, the U.S., on negotiating something which would address what European and other countries consider as the tax challenges of the digitalization of the economy, this dynamic has changed. And now there is an opening to discuss. And this has an impact on the approach to short-term measures. You say that European countries are moving. Well, if I may, respectfully, I would say, no, the European Commission, following largely the advice of France, tabled some drafts. But as you know, in the European Union, you need to have unanimity for anything to be agreed. And what do we see? We see a real divide among European countries. The French are pushing very hard, probably for a political agenda which is related to the next European elections, which will take place in May 2019. But many other countries, in particular the three Nordic countries you mentioned, Finland, uh, Denmark and Sweden, are saying we don't want to be caught in short-term measures, especially as now there is a new dynamic at the global level which makes us think that we may have something like an agreement to address these challenges. So the situation is in flux, I would say. Very unclear what is going to happen in the European Union. Germany seems to be hesitant on the way forward. There are some countries, the Nordic countries, Ireland, a few others who have clearly said we don't want anything in the short term. And you have some big countries, Italy, France, Spain, in particular, but with a few other countries, Austria in particular, which is going to chair the European Union as of the 1st of July, who say we must do something. Everybody agrees, though, that whatever happens at the EU level or outside the EU, Australia is currently thinking of a short-term measure. New Zealand is thinking of a short-term measure. Israel has implemented a short-term measure. I could quote a number of countries there. But whatever happens on the ground as regards interim measures... There is agreement that we need to find a so-called long-term measure, which is a measure which would address the challenges faced by the digitalization, meaning probably new allocation of profit rules and a new approach to the nexus, in other words, def the definition of the permanent establishment. So the BETS Inclusive Framework is currently reviewing um, the profit allocation rules and nexus rules uh, as we speak, right? Is that, how is that going? Keep in mind that we just finalized the report in March. It's now the beginning of June, and they're not meeting again until July. But yes, in the interim report, you saw that the conclusion was that we need to be looking at nexus and profit allocation. And so that is what they will be looking at. Um, and the timeline is 2020, and there has been talk. Uh, <laughs> Secretary General Angel Guria had mentioned recently that you were looking into possibly moving up a timeline to 2019. Is that happening? I, I can respond to <laughs> that one because it's at a meeting of the European Union. It's called an ECOFIN. What is an ECOFIN? It's a meeting of the finance ministers of the European Union. 
And because this ECOFIN, informal ECOFIN, it's an ECOFIN where they exchange ideas and they don't take decisions. Because it was informal and because it was um, uh, targeted on digital economy and these topics, they invited the OECD. So I was there with the Secretary General who made a speech and said in response to a few countries, the UK in particular, if you want us to speed up, we can speed up. We could even deliver in 2019 if you want, if there was agreement. That's many ifs, right? So uh, further on that day, I clarified that it's subject to many ifs. So no, there is no change of calendars. We still aim to deliver a report in 2020. Now, this report could say countries are not in agreement, too bad, nothing to do, or this report should say this is what we need to do to adapt the rules. Or maybe even saying these are the new rules we propose uh, and uh, that the G20 should adopt. Now, in 2019, we can certainly deliver an interim report. And we have discussed this with incoming G20 presidency following Argentina, which will be Japan. And Japan is very much interested in pushing forward a good approach if we can agree some key principles by 2019, so be it. Are we in a position to do so? I think it's too early to decide. The task force on the digital economy will next meet in July. We will probably come back to the interim report. I'm not sure that much has happened since, which will I mean, entail some decisive progress by July. But by year-end, for sure, we know that G7 countries are reflecting on this as per the meeting which took place on Saturday in Canada. We know that the G20 countries still want to talk about that. So at some point, we'll see what's the dynamic. We hope it will be positive and that some solution will emerge. What is at stake, however, is pretty fundamental. It's about the allocation of taxing rights. And if it's not ring-fenced to a sector which would be the so-called digital economy, then it will have some spillovers for countries which so far have been capital exporting countries, so-called residence country in our uh, tax jargon, uh, and the European countries were in that position. Where does the US stand now with the beat, with the tax reform? That's where we can see that, that things are a bit fluid and need to be reflected further. What can the tax community do in the meantime to help inform the debates? Well, the tax community needs to get engaged. I think that is our big message because for a long time in particular, the highly digitalized companies, um, not all of them, but most of them have been basically sticking their heads in the sand and hoping this will go away and saying nothing needs to be changed. There are a few that recognize that this issue will not go away. And I think all the discussion in the G7, the G20, everywhere you go, this is what ministers of finance want to talk about. We had our ministerial meeting last week and in every single bilateral meeting we had with a minister, this is what they want to talk about. So there is tremendous, tremendous pressure. And for those companies that think this issue will go away, it will not. As Pam Olson said at our conference today, the the gallows are being uh, set up. And so they need to engage in this because this is happening. Just shifting a little bit, um, I, know, I know that Lithuania and Colombia are now OECD members, and um, Brazil and other countries are also looking for membership. How might expansion of OECD membership uh, affect the ongoing work in this issue, or and in you know in tax in general? How is it going to affect? 
As you've said, we've moved from 35 members of the OECD to 37, and we have another six to eight which have expressed interest or are in the process of joining the OECD. What's the impact on tax? Actually, nil. I mean, we're very happy to welcome Colombia and Lithuania as full members, but we've already, I mean, we're already ahead there. How many members do we have in the Global Forum on Transparency and Exchange of Information for tax purposes? 150.50. How many members do we have in the Inclusive Framework? I'm not even sure I'm up to date, but I think today it's 116. Uh, but, but we have a few others um, uh, in the pipes who which will join soon. So we have already moved forward the inclusive agenda there. We have China, we have India, we have the emerging economies, all the G20 countries, and now a majority of developing countries as members on an equal footing. It is fair to recognize that there are political dynamics. The G20 is there and gives some direction there. The G7 is active in these topics. And you may have other dynamics. If you look at automatic exchange of information, who did push for this? A group of early adopters, 50 countries. So we, we will always have to have dynamics, political dynamics. Otherwise, you end up in a body where people come, read speeches, go back home, uh, where it can be a useful forum, but that's not the way we proceed. We want to develop standards. So you need dynamics, but you also need to be inclusive. So 35 or 37 or 40 members of the OECD, fine, great for the uh, OECD. But from a tax perspective, the inclusive framework for BEPS, which is the Committee on Fiscal Affairs, 116, the Global Forum, 150, we've already moved forward, so no impact on us. Well, I would say one area of potential impact is with Brazil and the transfer pricing, for example. As I think everybody knows, Brazil follows a very different approach in transfer pricing, and it's not fully adopted the OECD transfer pricing guidelines. And so if they were to go on the accession path, then as part of that accession process, they have to be reviewed against all of our core principles. And so our transfer pricing guidelines are a key part of that, as is our model treaty. And so to the extent that these countries that are seeking membership in the OECD do not yet meet these standards that are outside of BEPS or whatever, um, this is a, a way to get them fully on board with the international standards. And the case of Brazil is indeed extremely important because Brazil is kind of an island, a separate land in terms of transfer pricing. Joining the OECD as a full member would mean that they would have to adhere to the underlying principles, in particular in the area of transfer pricing, even though transfer pricing rules may not be fully stabilized. Uh, the fact that Brazil would move towards the OECD rather than away from the OECD, I think, is, is good news. That's why many countries are supporting the accession of Brazil to the OECD. They posted a request. There is not yet consensus on that. Uh, the U.S. is reluctant, in a sense, for many other reasons. But from a tax perspective, it looks like this would be great news. During the conference, you mentioned trade and tensions with uh, the trade. Is there any worry? Are you worried at all that trade tensions could spill over into tax in the tax area? Yes. Yes. Please explain more. <laughs> well, and it's pretty obvious. When you don't have trust, where you have fights, where you have trade-offs, because when you have a trade war, you have trade-offs at some point. That is not very conducive of mutual trust, of cooperation, and so So are there risks of unilateral measures, of increased uncertainty? 
The answer is obviously yes. I mean, you could think about um, the current situation we have with, for example, the FIDI, where a lot of countries have said, well, this this violates WTO. Have, have they filed any action against the U.S.? No, but with these tariffs popping out of nowhere, um, maybe they'll reconsider. So it does, you know, there isn't a direct link, but it's it's about the trust. It's about the relationship. And at the end of the day, tax and trade are both about economic relationships. Mm-hmm. And the one may very well poison the other. I would like to maybe end on a more positive note. <laughs> and poison? <laughs> than poison. Well, we've discussed several issues today. Uh, but what can we expect from the OECD in the coming months beyond what we discussed? Um, what can we look forward to? In terms of outputs, we... We will not deliver much in the coming month because we're in the phase of the hard work of the uh, digital work that we're doing. And and you will not see the outputs until some time. And as you understand, there is a discussion on having a broader approach, which is pushed by the U.S., which may mean that... Um, we, we, we would have to work on transfer pricing rules, on nexus rules, so allocation of profit and nexus, which is pretty fundamental. So this clearly is an area, and this was said today at the conference, which is not stabilized. The beat is, we understand, kind of a vote of non-confidence for the Smith principle. And who goes past that vote? The U.S., which is one way or another the parent of the Armstrong principle. So there is something fundamental happening here, and we will certainly not issue drafts or or papers uh, until sometime the time necessary for countries to discuss this in depth because what is at stake is big. That said, we are working extremely hard on all fronts, tax administration, ICAP, how to increase uncertainty. You will see many peer reviews coming out, peer reviews of the multilateral instrument. You will see in June the signing of the MLI by another 10 countries and probably another 20 in the pipes to sign before year-end or early in 2019. You will see peer reviews on mutual agreement procedures. You will see the follow-up of peer reviews on harmful tax practices. So all the BEPS implementation monitoring, not to mention another part of the work which is about tax policy. We do a lot of work on tax policy. We are currently working on growth, a piece on growth for the G20 that will be presented to the G20 finance ministers. And on transparency, the continuation of the work on of peer reviews for exchange or information request. And more fundamentally, and this will happen in November, the release of a new methodology in terms of reference for how to monitor and review the proper implementation of automatic exchange of information, the common reporting standard. This is pretty big, challenging, because unlike exchange of information requests where you ask countries, are you satisfied? And the answer is yes or no. So it's not too difficult. And they know what they see. They know what they ask for and they know the response they receive or they don't receive. Automatic exchange of information, quite different. Countries will see what they receive but they will not see what they don't receive, which may be what they are interested in. So how do you organize a peer review which would capture these unknowns? That's one of the challenges we face, but I'm confident by November we'll deliver something meaningful there. Pascal, Grace, always a pleasure to speak with you. Many thanks for stopping by at Tax Notes Talk, and we will catch up again soon.
Excellent. Stephanie, that was a great interview, uh, though I understand before it really got started, uh, Pascal had some strong feelings about an editorial decision we've made at Tax Notes where we don't use the OECD's term digitalization of the economy and instead favor digitization or the digital economy. Would you say his feelings were fairly strong? Yeah, he had some feelings about it. Uh, thanks, Pascal and Grace, for taking some time out of your busy schedule today to speak with us about the tax challenges arising from the digitalized economy. I hope I got that right. Well, and that's where I stop <laughs> you to say, actually, what we're working on, and that's not anecdotal, is the tax challenges of the digitalization of the economy. Because if you say the digitalized economy, it's as if you were ring-fencing something, saying this Same is problem. digitalized and the rest is not digitalized. Why, what we are saying, and we is the international consensus, is there is a, a pervasive phenomenon which is about digitalizing the whole economy, and therefore we should draw some tax consequences or not of that. And now there seems to be an emerging consensus saying we should address this phenomenon. So that's why we're pretty touchy on the way we phrase it. Okay, so digitalization it is then. Well, Stephanie, where can listeners find you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Sung Johnston. That's S-O-O-N-G-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. I, I do recommend listeners follow Stephanie on Twitter. It's uh, equal parts tax news and cute animals and always interesting. Stephanie, thank you for being here. Always great to be here. Thank you. And now, coming attractions. Each week, we preview commentary that will be appearing in the next issue of the Tax Notes magazines. We're joined by executive editor for commentary, Jasper Smith. Jasper, what will you have for us? In Tax Notes, practitioners from KPMG consider how the new Section 965N interacts with the taxpayer's foreign tax credit limitation under Section 904. Further, attorneys from Ropes and Gray examine whether the commodity trading safe harbor is available to foreign investors in virtual currency trades. In state tax notes, Peter Faber considers New York's recently enacted employer-level payroll tax, including how it functions and issues regarding compliance. Also, attorneys from Bass, Barry, and Sims provide a review of due process nexus and propose a new standard for state-level taxation. Finally, in Tax Notes International, Tom O'Shea discusses a proposed directive that would introduce a digital services tax in the EU while David Rosenblum explores U.S. tax issues arising from effectively connected rules, branch rules of subpart F, and certain transfer pricing implications. You can read all that and a lot more in the June 11th editions of Tax Notes, State Tax Notes, and Tax Notes International. That's it for this week. You can follow me on Twitter, at TaxStew, that's S-T-E-W. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play to make sure you get the next episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.